conversations with God, the first few words come easy. But where do we go from there? What could help prayer feel fresh, authentic, honest, fulfilling? What if the inspiration we need has been here for us all along? Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. If I've met you before, my name is Grant. I want to welcome you. And also uh, to those of you that are watching online, if you're in a campground somewhere joining us for church, we're glad you're here. Happy fourth weekend. I hope you have an amazing time together with your family and friends. Some weekends I want to make sure that I give credit where credit is due. So this weekend, a special thanks to Jesus. Andrew Murray, Jim Scobie, John Ortberg, Billy Graham, and Laurel Fishbook for their inspiration and help on this message. I did not do this alone, and I don't want you to be under that illusion. I want to start off with a bold proclamation. If you have a perfect prayer life, you're excused for the next nine weeks. If you're one of those people for whom prayer comes easy, if your mind stays focused all the time and it never wanders, if you can pray for an hour and wonder, where did the time go and I want more, if you've never had an issue with why a prayer went unanswered, if someone cuts you off and you immediately pray a prayer of blessing on them and their children, <laughs> if you have talking and listening to God perfected, you don't need to be here for the next nine weeks. Truth be told, if that's what you believe, you need therapy more than you need church. You don't need to be here. This series is for the rest of us. If your mind does wander, if you've ever struggled with talking and listening to God, if your idea of prayer is a verbal laundry list that just goes on and on endlessly, if you've ever wondered, why didn't God answer that legitimate prayer? If you've ever wondered, am I doing this right? If, if you pray something over someone who cuts you off, but it's not a prayer of blessing. If you've ever legitimately wondered, does prayer even work? Then this series is for you, and I'm right there with you. I have a bold assertion. All people pray. Even people who don't believe in God in times of desperation make an appeal for some kind of intervention. All people pray. In moments of great joy, moments of tremendous fear, when their mortality is in question, when sadness is overwhelming, when shame is overpowering, when we need something beyond ourselves, we speak to someone or something outside of our realm of understanding. It's innate and reflexive. I've seen it happen over and over again, and it may sound as simple as this. God, help me. God, if you're out there, hear my voice. It may even sound, hey, big guy in the sky, I'm in trouble and I need your help. Years ago, I was leading a small group and there was a guy in our group who never, ever, ever prayed out loud. And you could just tell by his body language, the prayer section of our group made him really, really uncomfortable. He would silently squirm and the closest thing he ever got to an amen was when we were finished the prayer section. We'd go around in a circle and his turn would come and it would go completely quiet. It was silent and we would wait 
until it became awkward and then the leader would finally close and this guy, I'm sure, would pray a prayer of relief to himself that sounded like, thank God that's over. And then one night we came around to him and he prayed one of the most beautiful prayers that I have ever heard. All he said was, oh God, a little help. And we all said, amen. It was a simple and profound beginning to a conversation with God. Can we admit there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to talking and listening to God? I mean, if you just look at some of the ways we pray or how we learn to pray, it can just lead us to crazy conclusions. Have you ever thought about some of the bedtime prayers we teach to our children? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Are you kidding me? And the kid is terrified to close his eyes and we wonder why they're struggling at bedtime. Parents, come up with something better, please. Don't frighten the children. This is how you pray. You pray in case you die. That's helpful. Have you ever thought about just saying grace? The blessing. Some of you got that. Some of you missed it completely. <laughs> Best movie ever, in my opinion. But think about it. We sit down in front of a plate of lard, butter, cream, fat, oil, and more butter, and we pray, Lord, please bless this food to the nourishment of our body. Are you kidding me? You might as well pray, Lord, bless the willful hardening of my arteries, because that's exactly what I'm going to do in the next 30 seconds. But we pray, because that's what we do. Or how about the most famously spoken prayer that we pray and forget about almost immediately? God, if you get me out of this mess, the mess that I created, I promise I will never, ever, ever do that again. So if any of the pieces that I've already talked about resonate in your soul, this series is for you. Every week of the summer, we're going to take a prayer from Scripture and we're going to learn how to have better communication talking and listening to God. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives us a primer on talking and listening to God. A portion of his teaching in Matthew 6 is world famous. But the portion that comes right before that, not so much. Because it comes with some warnings and some cautions. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Moment of confession. There are times in our staff prayer groups when instead of being fully present and connecting with the prayers of my fellow pastors and coworkers, instead of lending my prayerful support to their prayer, instead of truly hearing what they're talking to God about and being inspired about what they're talking to God about, in my mind, all I'm thinking about is what I'm going to pray when it's my turn. My mind is thinking about how I'm going to have a very pastoral tone when I begin my prayer with our dear, loving, and heavenly Father. I'm organizing my thoughts so I sound deeply theological and respectable because after all, as a pastor, I'm supposed to be a professional prayer, right? 
In moments like that, I'm not being prayerful, I'm being prideful. I want my friends to think I'm, I'm very prayerful, but instead I'm crossing over into pride and I hear Jesus whisper from the text, knock it off. Stop showing off. You have an audience of one when you're praying, so bring it back to and participate in this prayer moment as I taught you and as I modeled for you. When you pray alone or together, we we start in a place of humility and are welcomed by a God who already knows every word and thought that's forming in your heart before it ever crawls out of your mouth. Instead of being prideful, Jesus proposes a different humble way. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now when you hear that instruction, you may immediately think of going to your bedroom or to your office or to the bathroom, which is just wrong in my opinion. That's just me. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. In the days of Jesus, in the farming and fishing communities, the homes were set up in a very, very different way. They didn't have private rooms that were designated as workspaces or sleeping quarters like we do in our homes. In fact, most homes in Palestine, the only room that had a door on it was kind of a storage room or supply closet at the back of the house where they would keep food and valuables and supplies. This room was humble in nature. And it's interesting, that's where Jesus sends us to have this conversation. Go to the storage closet at the back of the house. Close the door when nobody's looking. That's where you're going to have a humble conversation. You're going to surround yourself with humble surroundings so that it matches the humble approach to the king of kings. And once again, we're going to be reminded that he welcomes us as family when we pray. And when we enter into that sacred dialogue with a God that we can't see, we understand that he will directly show himself to us as a loving father. For some of you in this room, The idea of a loving father is as foreign a concept as a God that you can't see. But I want you to know something. No matter how the shortcomings of your human father are wrapped up inside of your mind, you have a father in heaven who longs to hear your voice and longs to speak to you. You know, we struggle with this secret communication with God because at least in my experience, when we pray, this is what happens. We wait for something to happen. And when something doesn't happen, we assume that nothing is happening, even though God says, even when you can't see it, I'm working. And so we're caught up in this incredibly insecure moment because what we want is for what we've said in secret to become screamingly obvious with an answer. And Jesus understands this tension. And this is what he says. He goes, and when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So apparently, according to Jesus, effective prayer is not measured in the number of words. We should probably figure that out at some point. Because, wow, there are some marathon prayers in the world, aren't there? 
Have you ever been to a 4th of July picnic and they call on Uncle Bob and you check your watch and go, we're going to be here for a while. And those burgers and hot dogs are going to be really cold before Bob gets through because he's going to make a sweeping epic around the entire globe. We're covering the missionaries and the government and the leadership and the civic duties. We're going to go through all of it. Apparently, according to Jesus, effective prayer is not measured in the number of words. Jesus actually says, don't come and babble. What he's really saying is, don't think you can wear God down by the number of words that you pile on top of him. And he says, don't be like people like that. Jesus said, you don't need to be fancy. You can get right to the point because your father already knows everything you need. And even when you don't see it, he's working for your good. So those are the cautionary backdrop as we move to what I believe is one of the most beautiful gifts in all of Scripture. And all throughout the series, we're going to relocate ourselves at different times because I don't want you to get used to this kind of communication. I want you to get used to, to this kind of communication. So just remember, those were all the cautions that happened. And then Jesus comes to a place of prayer and humility. There are some churches in the world where these are common. They're called prayer benches. They're, they're kneeling places so that you can make yourself comfortable. And I think there's something kind of beautiful about that. I think there's something beautiful about making yourself comfortable in front of the king of kings, maintaining reverence and awe all of the time, but also understanding that there is a father-son or father-daughter relationship all of the time. After the cautionary tale that Jesus just told us, he says these words. You can say it with me as we pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You did better than three contestants on Jeopardy in the last couple of weeks. You don't know what I'm talking about, you might want to Google it. It's a beautiful prayer, short, concise. I want to give you a different opportunity to experience it. There's something beautiful when we sing a worship song here, and Eve, our, our worship leader, and Eve will simply begin to sing the lyrics that we know in English, but she'll sing them in Spanish. Every time she does it, people go, Oh, that's really, really cool. It just means something. It brings depth. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sit quietly and reverently in God's presence, and we're going to listen to an audio version of the Lord's Prayer in first century Aramaic, exactly the way Jesus would have prayed it. I don't want you to waste time thinking about where, is that, where do I know that voice from? Uh, what you're going to hear is actually a recording that was done by Jim Caviezel who played Jesus in the Passion of the Christ. Who happens to also live in Mount Vernon, which is really kind of cool. So we're going to sit quietly and experience the Lord's Prayer as Jesus would have prayed it. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads to pray with me? 
you would please. Hosina Otia Boy Kumar Bezrati Shambrini Miresha to Sheratam in no lie. A cockasayan no shield and I. A cockasiti. Go. But Afti Abba Kulitikel, Heimkel, Kosseye, Ete Mini. Akin Lakiswa. Lehuiti Lakiswa. Ilithilukum Arahema Haki Hida. Hida Hibu Denali Denah, Kokavel Diana of Hifilukum. Until Hida Hibu Lukum. Amen. So Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Just to be clear, Jesus is not saying this is the only way to pray. If that was true, Jesus wouldn't have included other prayers, like the high priestly prayer of John 15, 16, and 17. He, or else he wouldn't have included the beautiful prayer, the heartbreaking prayer of, Father, not my will but yours be done. No, this is not an exclusive prayer. It's an invitation to connect deeply with God. And it begins with these words, our Father. When we pray, we begin with addressing God because it's a conversation. It's exactly why you start a phone call or an email with, hi, my friend, or hey, Grant. Jesus begins by addressing his father and the name shows a closeness and the intimacy of the relationship. He actually starts with a term of endearment. He says, communally, our Abba, our Father. When we travel in Israel, it's one of the most beautiful things that I hear. Walking through the streets of Jerusalem, you hear little kids going, Abba, Abba, Abba. Literally translated, Daddy. It's that intimate. Laurel and I are getting ready to welcome our first grandchild into the world in October. And the topic around our home has been, what are grandpa and grandma going to be called? Now, the truth is, our grandbaby girl is going to call us whatever she decides or whatever she can pronounce. That's true. But that hasn't stopped us from trying to pick out a special term of endearment. Why? Because that relationship is going to be special. It's going to be one of a kind. It's going to be precious. All of the grandparents in the room are nodding their heads right now. You get it, right? That's how Jesus begins to pray. Our Father. Now we jump straight to the second word of the prayer, but the first one is absolutely crucial. Our. Our. It's communal. We're, we're allowed to do this one together. In fact, there's something about the power of community that gives power to the prayer. It means we have a father who longs to talk to us. There's something sacred about the fact that we can approach God together, but that he can hear each of our individual voices. At the same time, have you ever thought about that? So we just finished praying the Lord's Prayer together, but the, two, the ear of God is so finely tuned that he can automatically just say, oh, oh, John, I can hear you. Chris, I can hear you. Jeff, I can hear you. Taylor, I can hear you. When I approach God, our Father, it's amazing to me. His response is never, what do you want? 
When I pray, our Father, I am reminded that I am precious. And then I, I also remember that God, our Father, has limitless capacity to be able to hear all of my brothers and all of my sisters simultaneously. And he can discern every single one of the voices. To the grandparents in the room, you can pick out your different grandkids, can't you? Why? Because you know their voice. Our Father in heaven, it goes on. Literally, this phrase translates our Father in the heavens. It's actually plural. In the ancient world, they divided up the heavens into multiple layers. There was the terrosphere that we lived on. There was the atmosphere on top of that. And then there was everything else that was beyond that into the far reaches of space. So to the original listener, the, he the heavens were a combination of both the realm of Star Trek and what was happening right around them. I love this. Jesus is saying the father that you're praying to is not far away. He's not distant. He's not removed. And often we have that picture, right? God is in heaven and there's, a, there's this huge gap between us and him. Jesus is saying, no, he's... He's in the heavens that swirl around me. He's always near. He's in every single breath that you take. I think about this when I find myself praying, God, God I, want to, I want to invite your presence or I want to welcome your presence as if my welcome had some influence on whether or not God would actually show up or not. Can I tell you something? God is always here. He's always there. He's always everywhere. He was waiting for you before you walked in, and he'll be waiting for you as soon as you walk out, and his presence is maintained all the way through that dynamic. He never, ever leaves you. His presence is promised and assured, which means my prayer falls more along the lines of not, God, I welcome your presence, but God, make me more aware of the fact that you're already here. Our Father in the heavens, hallowed be your name. This is a moment of, of spontaneous praise in the center of the prayer. It's like, God, you're holy and I worship you. You're worthy of my praise and I refuse to hold it back. God's saying, I'm safe with my Father in my Father's house and I worship God because he's worthy of that praise. Praise is our joy verbalized. I did a wedding on Tuesday afternoon out at Semiamu. The, the setting was just perfect. We're down on the beach, the warm sun is, 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 is you know, wrapping itself around us. There's this amazing couple standing in front of me. They were blending a family and the bride's two daughters made a speech welcoming their mom's new husband as an important part of their lives. And my heart was just filled to overflowing. It was, it was filled with wonder. And I had to praise God for giving me a front row seat on Josh and Becky's love story. In this prayer, Jesus is giving us a front row seat on God's love story, and we're the bride. We should praise him. And that's why we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We should praise him. You praised before, but I want to remind you of something today. If you're here and you're breathing, God is working inside of your life. You've never prayed a prayer that he didn't hear. You may not get the answer that you want exactly, but God is in tune with your heart and you should praise him. You should praise him. Amen. 
Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This section reminds me of something that I said earlier. You know, have any of you ever had your mind wander when you're praying? Six of you, the rest of you are lying. Apparently we need a sermon series on honesty. Okay, all right. At times I struggle to stay focused. John Ortberg has this great little quote. He says, I often mistake prayer for just worrying it out loud. <laughs> I don't know if you've experienced this before, but I start on one topic and I start praying. I'm sincerely asking God for help and then worry creeps into my life and before I know it, I'm thinking about global thermonuclear war. <laughs> this part of the prayer brings me back. It helps me find my place in the truth. Every time I pray, I need to be reminded of something. My heavenly father is a king and I'm a resident of his kingdom, which means I am who he says I am, not who the enemy says I am, period. I am a child of God and my purpose is to serve his will on the earth for as long as God grants me breath to accomplish that plan. And I have found my place in this prayer and in God's kingdom. And Jesus welcomes me to request an essential part of life down here on earth. I love that. It's like, here's the kingdom, as big as you can imagine. And now we're going to talk about what you need to eat. Give us today our daily bread. Oh, I love this section because of the word today. Life is done one day at a time, which means the rest of my life starts today. What a request. God, give me what I need for today. You said in your word, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries of its own. So God, help me to focus on today and the fact that you promised that you would provide everything that I need. If you want to encapsulate this, this sentence in, in the prayer, it would go like this. I'm going to trust you, God, with provision for today. And that's enough. Tomorrow will take care of itself. According to a recent poll, <clears throat> Most Americans think it's good to pray before meals. Isn't it sad how many of us are embarrassed or ashamed to do it just because we're in a restaurant? We say grace to thank God for the food. G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite authors, said we should say grace more often. He says, you say grace before meals, all right. But I say grace before the concert and the opera and grace before the play and the pantomime and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching and painting and swimming and fencing and boxing and walking and playing and dancing and grace before I even dip the pen in the ink. We should be saying grace more often. God will provide all that we need and to request without saying thank you. Well, I don't know about you, but in the family that I grew up in, that's just plain rude, right? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. Oh, here, here we go. God brings it right into the heart of the matter. Repentance and confession is an essential part of a prayerful life for all of us. Forgiving those who need our forgiveness 
is a necessitated part of a powerful prayer life. They go hand in hand. And this is why receiving God's forgiveness and then granting forgiveness is inspired by the example of Jesus. It keeps our prayers humble and answerable. The people who are praying here are the forgiven people of God, so we don't hold back grace. We choose to forgive. So this is a great moment to ask. At the beginning of the series, before we even start walking through how we're going to be praying over the next uh, number of weeks, i got a question for you. God, God, is there a place in my life that I need to go back to and clean up? Do I need to go and make amends with somebody? Do I need to release a judgment from somebody because I don't want anything to stand between me and you when we are praying? Why would that be so important to my prayer life? It's because of this. I cannot cling to the forgiveness of God while holding on to a lack of forgiveness towards someone else. It just doesn't work. Unforgiveness will impede your prayer life. So start there. Who do you need to forgive today to release from your judgment? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, we move from a request for provision and then forgiveness to a request for guidance. God, could you please help me not walk down the predictable path of my own bad decisions. (laughs) Maybe you've heard this little prayer before. Dear God, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, haven't lost my temper, haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm really glad about that. But in a few moments, God, I'm going to get out of bed. (laughs) And from then on, I think I'm going to need a little more help. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Here's the question, am I going to follow someone today who's going to lead me down the path of temptation or am I going to follow the one who will lead me away from temptation to safety? When I was a youth pastor, I took a group of high school kids to Mexico on a service trip. We took two vans with vinyl seats from Steinbach, Manitoba to El Florido, Mexico. Not smart. At one point, we were coming through the mountains in California and our engine overheated. Pulled to the side of the road. The engine block was actually glowing red with heat. And we were stranded and I was panicked because I had a group of kids from rural Manitoba on its way to Mexico and their parents had entrusted me with their safety. So we're standing on the side of the road and I'm trying to keep my thoughts together and a kid named Gary said, maybe we should pray about it. (laughs) Thanks, Gary. Reverend Gary, the prayerful Gary. Go find your own prayer bench. I mean, I just, it was just, so we prayed. We actually gathered around the van and we prayed and we closed the hood and we started driving. And a few miles down the road, the temperature gauge started coming down. And we pulled into a rest area, opened up the hood of the van. No word of a lie, one of the youth sponsors put his hand right in on top of the, on top of the fan blower, and, and it was cool enough that he could keep his hand right on top of it. And I began to think, why don't I naturally respond in prayer in those moments? 
Why isn't prayer my reflex in every moment? Why don't I stop and pray, God, deliver me from this anger? Why don't I stop and pray, God, help me to not be defensive in this moment. God, deliver me from fear. Why don't I pray, God, guide me, show me where to go. God, lead me not into temptation, protect me from the evil one. I mean, what greater strategy would the devil have than to keep God's kids from talking to their father? God, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Can I tell you something? There is an evil one, and he would love nothing more than to cut off your communication to your father. Don't let him do it. Scripture also says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is your opportunity to cop some attitude and say, devil, listen up. I'm going to be talking to my heavenly father, so you can just shut your mouth and go away. You are not welcome in this conversation. You don't get to push my shame button. You don't get to discourage me. I am going to stay on track and I'm going to keep talking to my heavenly dad because that's the only voice that I care about. And that's the end of it. Short, tiny, little prayer. That's the end of the prayer, but that's not how we know the end of the prayer, right? Right? So very early on in this grand prayer, Jesus' followers actually added a section at the end. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. My translation of what the the first century Christians were doing is they wanted to to be able to just simply say like, God, may this prayer be all about you. And then there's this final little word that says, amen. I've got a question. What if I was preaching right now and I just suddenly stopped and left? You'd go, that was rude. What if we were in the middle of a conversation in the commons and I'm just like, are you having a great fourth? Yeah, it's going to be a great fourth. It just wouldn't make any sense, right? Just as a good prayer conversation with God begins by addressing him, it's good to close it and end the note of prayer with a little bit of praise. Amen simply means this. Yes! Scared you, you're awake now. (laughs) My translation of amen is so be it. Yeah, what I just prayed, go back and let's say it again. It's a yes moment. Yes, God, this is just the way we want it. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and all God's people said That's the Lord's Prayer. Here's the challenge. Would you pray the prayer of Jesus, the one that he taught us here, every single day for one week? Before you do anything. Some of you need to put your toothbrush underneath of your bed. So before you get up, roll out of bed, and go decide to make yourself hygienic, which we all appreciate, you you hit the floor first with your knees and say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be you. That's the challenge. Don't rush through it. Let every phrase fill your own thoughts in your heart. Own your own honest rumblings in the depth of your spirit and make it an adventure in prayer this week. The worship team is gonna come back and join me right now because as we walk through the next nine weeks together, each week we're gonna do a different, what I call power prayer from scripture. There's so many good ones. We narrowed it down to nine because these were the ones that, honestly, Pastor Brian and I said, I wanna, we want to talk about that. 
And Pastor Wendy is going to take a week. Pastor Carrie Butler, our prayer pastor, is going to take a week. We're just going to go through some very intentional and personal prayers all the way through the summer because I, I just know this. I want to learn how to, how to better talk to God. I know God's listening. I, I just I want to figure out how to step closer because he never moves. So may these words infect your brain with whatever you encounter this week. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And may you continue to pray until together we can gloriously say together, as all God's people say, amen. We're going to worship now. Newer song, the most beautiful sentiment. Every time you pray, you're in your father's house.